Paid in Puke, a podcast where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode of Paid in Puke, we're talking about the 1982 film, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, directed by Lou Adler and written by Nancy Dowd. It stars Diane La- Diane Ladder. Wrote. It, st- <laughs> it stars Diane Lane and Laura Dern. Daughter Laura. Yeah. <laughs> and Diane Ladd's daughter Laura Dern. And it tells the story of a group of gregarious teenage girls who stumble into music fame and basically invent the Riot Girl movement. Just a little bit of history about the movie. Nancy Dowd was unsatisfied with the ending of the film and she quit the film partway through production because she was groped by one of the crew members and no one did anything about it. So she changed her credit name to Rob Morton, but I think now she's credited. Nancy Dowd wrote the film Coming Home, which won an Oscar, and she wrote the script for The Fabulous Stains with rock journalist Caroline Kuhn. They came up with the idea together, and then Dowd wrote the script. It was never granted a wide release in theaters because test screenings did not go very well. But then they shot the final sequence of the film three years after to see if it got better reaction, but then they didn't release it on DVD for 26 years. But uh, it did in the meantime gain a cult following on late night cable and people like Courtney Love and the members of Bikini Kill saw the movie and were literally inspired by it to become lady rockers. So that's a pretty cool history. Who would like to say something about this movie? (laughs) Podcasting. I'll start. I love this movie. I only first saw it like a year or so ago whenever you lent it to me. Actually, I know when it was because of my little library system. (laughs) It was 2016, so it was was a while ago. It was one of the rare times where you lent me something and I watched it right away and gave it back and didn't let it sit on my table for seven months. I mean, there's a lot to love about this movie. And I also, like, I love Diane Lane. Like, super young Diane Lane. And I like Diane Lane now, too. She's just so fun to see. My favorite thing about this movie is all the newscasts. (laughs) I just don't know. You begin to wonder about your profession, don't you? I mean, you give a little airtime to some nut on the big night news, and 24 hours later, you've got a bunch of other nuts who are just making her into a hero. When they see something on media, they've got to do the same thing. You're on the box every night for an hour, and I don't see anyone trying to be like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm talking about the power television has to create. Those girls created themselves. They're pretty bonkers. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Oh, God, it's so funny. The newscasters are just, like, chatting with themselves, like, this guy got it about anybody, and he goes out with this really weird-looking girl. Here, this guy could probably have had his pick of any number of these camp followers, and instead, he falls for this really weird-looking girl. I think she looks very elegant. Oh? This is what is being discussed on the nightly news. And even the very opening, it felt like a very current, timely thing, like how she kind of goes viral, I guess, for this video where she is getting fired. You may remember Corinne Burns. She was the teenage fry chef who was fired on the air in our segment on Charlestown, Pennsylvania, the town that will not die. You know, you think this town wouldn't die. That's how dumb you are. Hey, you're fired. This town died years ago. Well, we received more mail on Corinne Burns than on any sequence we have shown in the past two years. 
feels like something that would be all over Twitter right now. She does go viral. That gets her the interview. And then she mentions in the interview, oh yeah, I have this band. Even though like she kind of doesn't really. She's just fronting. And that's such a great interview with her putting on the makeup throughout the scene. And then she's smoking two cigarettes at one point. That made me laugh a lot. Oh my God. Yeah, the, <laughs> the interviewer in that part, he's very like infantilizing to her. And he's like, each cigarette cuts a day off your life. And she puts like four in her yeah. mouth. My dad used to say all the time, he would point out people in public smoking. It's like, see that? She's taking a day off her life right now. Your mother died of lung cancer and you smoked. Each cigarette cuts a day away from your life. She and her sister are basically alone. I mean, her parents are, her mom's dead. I don't know where her dad is, but like, you know, they're basically like raising themselves. And I just loved how she's just doing whatever it takes to get out of her situation and get out of her town. And she really doesn't have much to lose by doing it. I liked her character a lot. And I liked her interactions with the UK garage band leader. Yeah, <laughs> Ray, Ray that guy's character. The scene where they're in the hotel. He was being an asshole to her before on the bus, and then they're in the hotel room, and he's telling her all these things about himself, and she's like, what are you telling me for? Listen, I want to tell you something. I've never told anybody before. I don't want any more advice. I can't read. What? I can't read. My dad used to make me do homework. He used to call me thick. What do you mean, thick? Um. Well, what are you telling me for? <laughs> I just love how she was just like, oh, you're expecting me to be your sounding board, you know, sounding yeah. board now after you were an asshole to me. Yeah, I love her whole thing with him because she never really lets him get to her until he turns the whole audience against her. The whole time she's pretty much just like, okay, I can use this guy. I can learn how to be a punk rocker from him and I can steal his song and we can bone in the shower. You know, he's good for rolling the hay, but like, I don't need to hear his life story. I don't care, I can't read. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Moby Dick, if you know what I mean. I fucking love when he's talking to her on the bus that she's like, do you mind if I look out the window while you talk to me in case I see someone I know? <laughs> Well, you don't mind if I look out the window while you talk to you. I mean, I might see somebody I know, and I wouldn't want to miss them. It's <laughs> just such a great teenage diss. I mean, she mostly does have the upper hand in that interaction, even though he's constantly trying to get it from her. He, like, tries to light her cigarette at one point, and she intercepts him. She's, like, fishing around in her pocket, looking for a lighter, and then he tries to light the cigarette for her, and then at the last second she finds the lighter and lights it herself. I love that. She doesn't let him get her in a position where she owes him anything at any point, where he can say that she owes him something. And I really love that. Yeah. I love her confidence and the way that she just handled getting through the world. Yeah. And then, of course, her true diss, which is just so inspirational. Where he's telling her, you know, you're a sellout. And she's like, I'm actually everything you wanted to be. Like, he says, what, cunt? And she's like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you still hanging around here? Why don't you just go back to wherever she came from? I wish I could. You are so jealous of me. I'm everything you ever wanted to be. That counts. Exactly. I mean, that's like the Riot Girl movement in a nutshell right there. <laughs> oh, it's Bubba, a podcasting cat. Oh, I know. <laughs> my Bubba shirt Bubba's going to be internet famous. I actually have an anti in the very beginning. The girl says, I hate the name Jessica. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one of my, because that interaction with her mom is from my life. I hated my name. I always wanted to change it. Like every time I go to summer camp, I'd start up the week with a new name because I didn't want to be Jessica. I hated my aim. It's probably why I like embrace people calling me Baxter. <laughs> I like it better. But my mom was always saying that I picked that name for you and that's a special name and there's a reason I picked the name for you. <laughs> she was also always trying to <laughs> say that I picked the name actually. She's like, no, I had a dream when I was pregnant with you where you came to me and said, my name is Jessica. You gotta call me Jessica. <laughs> and so I did is what she said. And I'm like, well, I don't remember that. <laughs> so, like, well, I'm here now. I hate the name Jessica. It's a lovely name. Gag. Peg is not your name. It is now. I gave you your name. That's why it's so lousy. 
And that's the name you're going to have, you understand? I liked that scene. It was a funny, timely scene for me where she's talking about changing her name with her mom. <laughs> Uh, I love that. And there was some other name she went by in the interview where she was like, I'm third degree Burns and this is... My name isn't Corinne Burns. What is it? Third degree Burns. I'm the lead singer and manager of the Stains. On lead guitar, depleted. On bass, Dizzy Heights. Ta-da! I thought third degree Burns was a really kind of roller derby name. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool name. She's good with branding, at least. Like, she's got that part down. (laughs) I like the line where the tour manager slash bus driver, do I really have to wear, I'm not going to wear this thing. It's like some sort of, like, one-piece black tight thing. I'm not going to wear this. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down to it. And then there's the old rock star guy that they're touring with who's like the lead band, but he's like a total asshole, washed up, almost like a kiss looking band. And I liked that interaction between him and the younger English punk rock guy. I guess maybe like the older guy is past his glory, past his and he's like shitting on the younger guy in the bus and saying like there's nothing new no none of this shit is new man i wore leathers back in 1964 man before anybody was doing it i started the whole thing i had my little rockabilly period you know glitter but finally all it ever comes down to i mean the thing that separates the men from the boys that if you're not yourself, you're nobody. He was just really shitty. You could tell the guy is like a very washed up, bitter, old rock guy. I thought everything that guy said was really funny. <laughs> yeah. He's supposed to be like Alice Cooper, apparently. And Alice Cooper oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that is from real life. There was a rivalry, like a natural rivalry between metal people and punk rockers, like <laughs> natural enemies. That was the thing. There'd be some crossover concert, so they'd end up in the same place, and then they'd get into fights. Yeah, I definitely got the sense that they were sort of waning in popularity or something. He's, like, kind of washed up. But I I like that scene where they get to some club and he's talking to the guy there and he's like, Oh, it's real good. The tour's real good. We got a real, real good... I mean, he says real good, like, eight times or something. Like, he's trying to convince himself. Everything's so good. Yeah, man, we're doing real good, man. The the single princess is out, man. It's doing real good. The tour's going real good, man. Real good, it's all real good. I'm real positive about the whole thing. Having three bands on one bus is not going real good, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like it could be going better. It looked like really shitty to be these young girls on that bus with all those dudes. <laughs> yeah, with that one tiny bathroom back there. With no toilet paper. Yeah. I know. Why wouldn't they have toilet paper? Men need toilet paper, too. <laughs> Gross. That looks pretty good. Also timely, too, in a way. Yeah. I love when Ray Winstone's trying to apologize for asking his tour manager to hire a new act for him, a new support act, and uh, she overhears, and he's like, that was last week. Last week, I thought you were terrible. This week, I think you're fucking great. She just says, don't bother me. It's gonna be alright. I've just spoke to the guy. I phoned him last week and said we needed a new support band. I thought you were terrible. But that was last week. You're fucking great. Don't bother me. Hey, you liar. I know, my lawyer. I'm telling you the truth. It's gonna be alright. Don't talk to me! He's like standing there being like, no, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Leave me alone. I know, he changed his tune really quickly, like, because before he was saying to his bandmates, girls can't be rock and rollers, it's a fact or something. And then, like, the next week, he's like, you know, some people say girls can't be rock and rollers. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you know, he's a little bit enamored with her, but he also wants to take credit for what she's becoming. And she kind of is, you know, she's not, I mean, stealing from him isn't the right word, but she's learning from him, right? She's taking a cue from his book, but he thinks of it as her stealing from him. But then when it starts to work, they've obviously been struggling in anonymity for a while. And, you know, no one's noticed him. And then when she takes his song and everyone notices, that does make him jealous, I'm sure, because he doesn't have that star power, you know? He can write a good song, but he can't back it up with the attitude and the look right i'm gonna go to a news report again when the guy overdoses and <laughs> reporting on him and the woman says that he died in a filthy ladies room and she's saying the things that he survived in his life and one of the things he survived is five paternity suits <laughs> oh wow jerry jervy was nothing if not a survivor he had survived seven drug arrests two convictions five paternity suits, and involvement in over 15 bands in his meteoric 20-year career. <laughs> no, picture him with, like, five kids. <laughs> yeah. Survivor of five paternity suits. Wow. Well, it's kind of like in revealing the truth about him because before that, everyone was like, oh, he was a father, a family man. <laughs> like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Having fathered children is not the same thing as being a father. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that was like a minor hot prob was the news thing. They actually showed the picture of him dead on the toilet. Yeah. I mean, that was that. pretty funny. Lazy <laughs> movie making. They would not do that. I know. So... The part where, like, Laura Dern runs into the old Alice Cooper guy, kind of drowning his sorrows, and she's like, does this mean you're done? Because the guy died, and you can kind of, like, see in his face. He's sort of like, how could this happen to me? It reminded me of, like, do you remember when the Smashing Pumpkins band member overdosed? They were on MTV News, like Billy Corgan and Darcy were talking about, we're such a cliche now or something. And it was like, somebody died, you know? But they were sort of talking about it as if it's like something that happened to them. It's amazing. You find these, these big, big tragedies creeping up at like the worst times. You know, you're like in the middle of a tour, you know, in the middle of a record. Somebody, somebody decides to go off the deep end. They don't go off the deep end when they're sitting at home watching TV. They go off the deep end and when you, you need them and you, 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 you'll excuse their behavior because you have to deal. I think Billy Corgan's an asshole and like, he yeah. does Alex <laughs> Jones and shit like that. It made me think about that. I just did not like that guy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was so funny. <laughs> Especially with him where sometimes in this movie I feel like the kid in the beginning of the Sack Lunch Bunch where you're like, what's the tone of this? <laughs> you know? yeah. It is not really clear to me. Like, is it ironic? Mm. Yeah, that's true. Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. What's the tone of this show? How do you mean? She means, isn't it ironic, or do you like doing a children's show? We talk a lot about that. That's a million dollar question. But honestly, like, if this doesn't turn out great, I think we should all be like, oh, it was ironic. And then people will be like, oh, that's hilarious. But if it turns out really good, we'll be like, oh, thank you. We worked really hard, and I can make home. And then you went either way. That's the first lesson of this special I just decided. What are they going? You know, like it still totally works for me, but especially like that guy, whenever he talks, you know, when it's like, hey man, what are all these chicks doing on the bus? Yeah. <laughs> trying to be funny like he was doing sort of like a parody of yeah that. yeah he was kind of funny in some parts and then other parts are just like oh i don't know <laughs> The Max Headroom effect is happening. The uh, Yeah. This is Max Headroom. Connection is really bad today. I'm sorry. I've been listening to some of the other ones and it's been okay, but this one's a little dicey. Okay. I think it's pretty steady now. Jessica, what did you think of that guy? I thought he was pretty funny. I mean, he was not a nice person, but I did laugh at most of his lines. Finding on the toilet. Yeah, everyone was just kind of staring at him for a while, like not really knowing what to do, I guess. And then he comes in and he's just like, God damn it. You know, his, re his reaction is not the reaction of a nice person, where he's just like, immediately, he's like, this is going to ruin everything. <laughs> That's such a selfish way to view that. Even though that guy seemed like not a very nice guy either, the guy that died. I do love how basically all of the men in this movie are terrible. 
in some way or another. Except for Lomboy. Lomboy is really great. Lomboy is the only nuanced and nice male character in this movie. And all the women, well, at least Corinne is very well developed. And then I feel like her aunt gets some pretty good moments. I cry every time I watch that scene where her aunt is doing an interview. Oh, And she talks yeah. about, well, I fucked up my daughter, but I hope that she can get over that. You know, I mean, not get over it, but get past it, get beyond it. I'd also like just to add right here, if I may, that, that my mother and father never really thought I'd be anything either. My dad would always say to me, Linda, you know, you're nothing. I'm kind of ashamed to say that I did to my daughter what my parents did to me, so when I see her up on stage, you know, when I see that she's having fun and see all these other kids who, you know, really think that she's great, I I just think how proud I am of her for getting around what I did to her, you know. I wrote that down too, that I did to my daughter what my parents did to me. I'm proud of her for getting around what I did to her. I just think that is a great thing to say, you know. Yeah, I like that she holds up the picture of her she said, I think she would love to see the girls having fun and she would be so proud of them. And it was really touching. I, I like that a lot because when she first started the interview, it seemed like it was going to be a little negative. But then she's like, I just have to be honest. And it was just really, really sweet. It was. It was really sweet. And I loved the shots of Lourdes and watching her too, taking it in and hearing what she's saying. That's kind of a dream thing to hear from your mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I wonder if Nancy Dad was working something out with that character, maybe. Well, when it starts out, when Christine Watti is introduced there, she and her friend are at the table smoking cigarettes, and she's putting on her press-on nails, and like they're singing together a song. I forget what it was. Carol King. just seems like they're stuck in this depressed town and you know they probably had dreams themselves and just seeing the girls do it see like she was proud that they got out and proud that they're having fun and seeing the world and things like that definitely i mean she's there's just a lot going on in that interview scene it's important to see them before they left on tour and their interactions and their relationship because you did sort of see this cycle perpetuating there and then to see her in the interview come to terms with that and be happy that the, the girls are ending that cycle. And in that scene, she's mourning loss of her opportunity to end the cycle, but she's also crying tears of joy for the fact that her daughter and nieces are ending it, at least getting out, at least making some sort of stride forward and not just repeating the pattern and then she's also crying because her sister's dead and she's crying you know there's just so many reasons why she's crying in that scene and she's giving an amazing performance conveying all that i mean she's explaining it a little bit but there's a lot of subtext too and it's so fucking great that's one of my favorite scenes i really love that there's dvd commentary with diane lane and laura dern and one of the revelations there for diane lane she was saying how when she was filming that movie she had the attitude of a teenager and she didn't get it until years later when she had a daughter and then she watched that scene she was like i always thought that character was such an asshole and then when i watched the movie after i had a kid i really felt for her and i saw her point of view for the first time and it was really interesting to think of how she didn't get the nuance when she was filming the movie because she was a teenager right they're so young it's crazy diane lane was 15 and lord Ern oh, wow. was 12 when they started filming she had her 13th birthday while they were filming and they lied to lou adler told him they were 18 so he would hire them Wow. So they're kind of doing what their characters are doing, getting on a bus as young girls with a bunch of old dudes and <laughs> going on a weird tour, learning about themselves and... <laughs> 
coming of age and all that. And it's really funny because Laura Dern said she never got into drugs because of filming that movie. Ray Winstone's band is comprised of members of the Sex Pistols and The Clash. And they were, like, doing drugs, and they were telling stories about the road, and she was like, it was the best don't-do-drugs education of my life. She's like, if you can do it, I highly recommend you send your kids on tour with a rock band. And I'll always work out I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if they all would have as good a head on their shoulders as Laura Dern does. But it's so crazy how young they are. Amy was saying before the she was like, this is the one time Laura Dern looks like a teenager. And I'm like, yeah, but she wasn't exactly a teenager. She was still 12. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> so she still yeah. never looked her age, ever. Yeah, I <laughs> guess she was that young, but she did look really young. I don't know. She's like Lucy's age. I mean, and Lucy also looks kind of like an adult, but yeah, Laura Dern, that's like the youngest she has ever looked to me, but she still doesn't look 12. <laughs> <laughs> And she was taller than Diane Lane at that point, apparently. <laughs> like she's already, I mean, she's still taller than Diane Lane, but yeah. she was 12 and already taller than Diane Lane at 15. When they all came back to film the music video at the end, they were all fully grown at their full height and Laura Dern's towering over everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Statue asked that, Laura Dern. I loved when Corinne says in the interview about she pretends that she was having an affair with the, was he a drummer? Who was he? The guy, yeah, I think the guy he was the drummer. drummer. I guess that's another reason why they compare this movie to Spinal Tap sometimes, <laughs> and the drummer died. She says he was an old man in a girl's world. I just love that line so much. <laughs> so even though Jerry Jervy was a drug addict, I guess he was still very sensitive. He was an old man in a young girl's world. I like the line in the very last news interview she did. She said, I think every citizen should be given an electric guitar on her 16th birthday. I really like that. Let's hear it. What else? I think every citizen should be given an electric guitar on her 16th birthday. Yes, well, I would love to chat more, but unfortunately, our time is up. Citizen, but then she says her. I know, that's great. <laughs> on her 16th birthday, like the default gender. That is pretty awesome. I love, uh, I think Laura Dern said the one who says, in case you haven't heard, we've only had three rehearsals. And then <laughs> Corinne says, yeah, but they were real long ones. He's got a slot for us. In case you haven't heard, we've only had three rehearsals. Long ones. That just reminds me of being in a band, of being in a, like, not very good band. <laughs> <laughs> the stains are a million times better than my band will ever be. I like in the interview when she says, I don't put out, and they go, in that outfit? <laughs> yeah, but I had to face facts. I mean, the guy could never be enough. Well, how did you put it to me? I said, I don't put out. In that outfit? It doesn't make sense to wear a see-through blouse and no bra and say, I don't put out. That's not what it means. It means don't get screwed. Don't be a jerk. Don't get had. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so funny, right? These people are talking about, like, her wild look and the see-through blouses. That was really funny. (laughs) And no pants. (laughs) I like that. Bloused. I know. Nobody wears blouses anymore, do they? (laughs) Calls it that. I like their sound a lot. They sounded like the raincoats. That was an album my sister and I had when we were in high school. We would listen to that a lot. The stains sort of had that same kind of sound. like the other promoter comes in and after the final scene where they get stuff thrown at them and the crowd turns on them the guy's already on the phone after the show trying to line up a different band and they're called the smears or like the oh, yeah, I think it is something the else <laughs> i don't mean to be cruel but you were just a concept she ends up having to like threaten him to get cash for her, their part, which I thought was pretty badass because she's like not gonna not get paid because he made a lot of money off of them with all the merch. Who's talking cut when we ain't got any pie? I want the money from the pamphlets and the blouses and all that crap. Wanna be cruel, but you were just a concept and you blow the concept. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. 
I thought it was cute that they sold skunk stuffies and they had so many girls dressed up like them. It was especially good that she got the money after Ray Winstone told that audience she's getting rich off of this, which she wasn't. She yeah. doesn't get rich off of it because even the money she gets is not very much. And then she gives it to Lawn Boy. But I guess the implication is that they eventually get rich because they are MTV stars. But yeah, that's just such a fucking crock of shit that he spills to the audience. Like, she's getting rich off of you. Like, nope, she fucking isn't actually. <laughs> Right, and it also, you know, it hits such a nerve for me, like, the whole concept of a successful band is just inherently a sellout or something. When he says that, it's so dumb how the audience turns on her. When you think, okay, they're spending all this money to go see this band and act like this band, and he's like, and it goes right in her pocket. Okay, but who should get that money, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, would that it were? <laughs> yeah. Would that it were so simple? Would that it simple? Would that it was a simple? Would that it was a simple? Would that it was? Would that it was? Like, what would for them be the better answer? All this money that you're spending for this band, who should it be going to? Like, yeah. Oh, good, it's not going to the band itself. It's going to some like asshole behind the scenes. That's better. Now mm-hmm. I can, now I can enjoy this concert in peace. That fact, actually, that that was one of my hot props. Why does the audience turn on her? I'll tell you why she's on her side. I mean, I would have thought they would have booed him off. Like, they were booing his band, and then he gets mad, and he's like, oh, well, let me tell you about this band that you love. And then they're like, oh, you're right. We hate them, too. That doesn't make any sense. I guess it's like a commentary on audiences and being fickle and the whims of audiences and that sort of thing, but I don't think it tracks, and I don't think it rings true. Right. I feel like maybe it's also supposed to be trying to say something about punk, how you just sort of can't be successful in a certain genre because the point of the genre is, I don't care, society is bullshit, money is bullshit. You know what I mean? It's sort of like they have this anti-capitalist message and then they're getting money from it and that's just sort of inherently has to be one or the other or something. I mean, that's what the great rock and roll swindle is all about, so it doesn't make any sense that they'd be... But that's not like, I don't know if that's what... I don't get what they're going for, but that's one of my possibilities. Is that what they're trying to get at? I don't know. I get the impression that things got changed a little bit after Nancy Dowd left the production. So I would be interested to read her original script and hear her thoughts. I don't even know if she's still alive, but I would like to know. What was your overall message here? I mean, I know what message I get out of it, but it doesn't necessarily feel like the right answer. I like that the agent is sort of treating Corinne and her band as if they're just this commodity that like, the market's responding to. Okay, the crowd doesn't seem to like you. You're disposable. Let's move on to the next thing. But, you know, obviously in the end, there's something special about them that resonates with their fans. In the end, it does seem like they become popular and they have a music video. something about them that they have fans that connect with what they're doing so they're not just one of those throwaway bands the way the guy was treating them i feel like they found their audience but their audience wasn't at that show you know what i mean like that show had some older people who were looking for the next cool punk thing that they could i don't know what i'm trying to say but like whatever whatever the point is that they were not at that show the little girls are the ones who ended up being there 
they're true fans and I feel like they maybe couldn't even go to the show maybe like the little girls at the TV studio that's when she kind of smiles at the end because she sees them and she's like oh yeah they're the real fans like they're the ones that were reaching and influencing and they're the ones that get the message versus the ones who booed her off stage are just fly by night fans if they're so easily turned by him I guess I like how how the female newscaster is defending them you know the different appearances and she obviously knows that there's something special happening and with what they're doing and there was a comment by the crotchety old white dude newscaster who's like this newscaster is no longer here she's moved to the national bureau or something so she's eclipsed him probably with that story i thought that was cool alicia maker will not moderate this interview today as was originally scheduled alicia's now assigned to our network's national bureau in washington we all wish her the best of luck. Yeah, that was cool. I really love how giddy she is about the whole thing. I'm not reporting about a band as much as I am a very personal appeal for young women to resist. Resist what? <laughs> Life as we know it. Uh-huh. I'm glad she gets to move on because what a terrible job it would be to sit next to that man every day. Even though it's not realistic newscasting, I appreciate it as a glimpse into their behind-the-scenes relationship. <laughs> Another small hop probably had was the, uh, it's just lazy movie making. The still shots they have, they just rip the stills from the movie and then put them in the newscast. So that's what they did with the dead drummer. It was just literally the shot from the movie of the drummer on the toilet. And then they did the same thing at the end when she gets hit with something on stage. It's like the shot from backstage, not from the audience, of her getting hit in the face. It's just that same still <laughs> shot that they put on the news. Takes me out of it a little bit when you're like, that's not... The news didn't take that picture. <laughs> And I also, I kind of wish they hadn't been so on the nose with the fans copying their exact looks. I kind of wish it had been a little bit more influential versus exact copying. Because people don't do that. People don't say, I'm going to buy that exact outfit that they wear and wear it all the time. It'd be one thing to have the skunk hair and the makeup, but then to have their exact outfits... I wish there had been more variety in the outfits that people wore. So that it was more of like an influence thing rather than a straight up copying thing. It's like a football game or something. That's a good metaphor. I like that. That's a kind of fanaticism, but I don't think it's the kind of fanaticism that you ever see in rock and roll. So it's just kind of a weird choice. I wonder if that's one of the choices that Lou Adler made that Nancy Dowd wouldn't have approved of. It sounds like there are a bunch of things that he was doing that weren't in the spirit of her script. I wonder if that's one of them, because <laughs> it makes it, it takes it to like a weird satirical level versus a more straightforward drama. I think this works better as a drama where all the comedy comes from Corinne just, you know, sassing everybody. I love it. She's so funny. I really love her, her biting wit. Put them out on the streets in risque outfits at the mercy of rapists. Old farts like you. Yes, I've been expecting that too. But I say to myself... You better watch out because if they catch you talking to yourself like that, they're going to fire you for sure. I forgot the one line. It's in like the original interview. And she's like, I'm too far gone for love. (laughs) (laughs) What about love? I'm too far gone for love. She's got some real great teenage platitudes, you know. At one point, she says, I'm just about rock and roll and the truth. (laughs) That's so cool. Did you guys get a Carrie vibe when she had all that stuff thrown on her? Because at one point, didn't she get paint thrown on her head or something? I couldn't tell what that was. It was some black stuff. There was some black goop on her face. Yeah, I didn't know what that was supposed to be. What would you be able to purchase at a concert that would be like that? Ice cream? Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, jar of tar. That <laughs> <laughs> Just like stuff that you can buy to throw at the band if you don't like them. Or maybe it was like hair dye. I don't know. They were selling hair dye. Oh, yeah, maybe. It's in the beginning, but there's a pregnant teenager in the bathroom. She's talking about being hungry or something, and then she's like drinking. I just thought it was an interesting scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was really enthusiastic about talking about her morning sickness and how much she was eating. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> I eat all the time. Yeah. And then I throw up all the time, she was saying. <laughs> just like eating and puking and eating and puking. I think that's just like a fate that she could 
have if she stayed in that town. Yeah. Corinne's just kind of looking disdainfully at this woman the whole time she's in the bathroom. So I think that's just another nudge out the door. Yeah. Next call. This is a funny thing from the commentary. Laura Dern's talking about the female newscaster, and she was saying, oh, have you seen her lately? She looks exactly the same, which I just thought was a really funny thing for Laura Dern to say, because she doesn't know about Laura Dern disease. (laughs) (laughs) She did look the same. I remember her from... Well, I guess it wasn't that much later, but she was on St. Elsewhere. You watched a lot of grown-up TV shows. I, you know, it really got me thinking when I was watching it. I was like, oh, I totally remember her from St. Elsewhere. Which I'm like, oh, that was like a messed up show. I think I was like in junior high when that show was on. There's a lot of weird storylines there. Is that a hospital drama? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's most known for all of it was in the snow globe. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the show. I mean, people reference that all the time. And that's the show that it's from. That's how the show ends. It was on like five or six years. I totally missed that scene elsewhere. I was aware of it. So how that show ended. So the show was on probably like five or six years. And there was a character on it. Somebody's child, Tommy was autistic and the whole thing takes place in a hospital the very last scene one of the characters i guess that kid's dad who is a doctor they show him walk into this house he's a little bit different he's not a doctor he has a different house and the kid is staring into this snow globe that has a little hospital in it and the guy's wife who's like a different person you know they just have a little conversation where they're like he's always staring into that who knows what he sees in that what he's picturing in there or something it's like a it was all a dream kind of finale oh, yeah like there's a whole i don't know if it's called the saint elsewhere universe or the tommy <laughs> snow globe universe because that show was also super meta like one time there was a recurring character who was sort of delusional there's like this connected universe there was an actor who was on white shadow and then one time there was a guest star who was also from that show and he was like don't you remember me like it was weird they some weird fourth wall meta stuff on that show and it's also young howie mandel and young denzel washington was on that oh, show wow my reference point for snow globe ending is the movie cemetery man have you guys ever seen that movie <laughs> it's an italian zombie movie kind of a zombie comedy but it's really avant-garde zombie comedy starring rupert everett very early career rupert everett and there's a snow globe thing in that <laughs> kind of crazy but it's funny because that was like a lot later than saying elsewhere so it's probably a goof on saying elsewhere then it must be yeah did you guys see the movie running on empty with river phoenix that's what i knew christine lotte from She's River Phoenix's mom. It's such a good movie. Martha Plimpton is in it. Judd Hirsch is the dad. That was my Christine Lottie. That's how I knew her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I knew her from anything other than this. And just like, in general, I remember her being an actress that people talked about. But uh, Yeah, I feel like I just kind of know who she is, but there's not a specific thing that stands out. But she's so good in this movie. Yeah. Another fun fact about Nancy Dowd is that she wrote Cloak and Dagger, which is one of my favorite childhood movies. I watched that movie a million times when I was a kid and loved it. Aw, nice. Is that the one with Dabney Coleman? Yeah. Kids <laughs> <laughs> love Dabney Coleman. <laughs> That's why I love Dabney Coleman. It's because of that movie, because he's so great in that movie, and he's like such an endearing character. Maybe I better go get some help. No, no, no. Don't go. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to see me anyway. Well, it was fun while it lasted anyway, wasn't it, pal? But Jack Flack always escapes. You want to know something? You're the best playmate I ever had. I can't leave Jack. I have to, kid. You're growing up now. Listen, do me a favor, will ya? Go get me a smoke. So Nancy Dowd is responsible for my love of Dabney Coleman, basically. <laughs> <laughs> 
before we started recording, you were saying, Christina, that there's a lot of great Halloween costumes in this movie, and I totally agree. I oh, yeah. Fun eye makeup with the red accent. I took a couple photos with my phone of the TV when she had, like, the really severe black outline with the red on the inside. That was really cool. I, I really liked her look. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie's crying. <laughs> Yeah, I like that one too. I've actually been on a lifelong search for red eye makeup. They don't really sell it in that shade anywhere. <laughs> I wouldn't love to buy that. I've used like lip liner and stuff before, but it's not the same. It doesn't stay on the same as eyeliner, even with primer and stuff. So I'm still looking for it. I always wanted like hot pink eyeshadow. And that finally came back in style, and now I'm able to buy that. But still, red hasn't come back. I'm hoping that will happen soon. I'm just going to get, like, more and more severe with my eye makeup as I get older till I'm, like, full-on glam Tammy Faye Baker by the time I'm an old lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's my goal. It's been weird. I've been not wearing makeup every day since I've been in quarantine, and it's been weird. It's been years since I didn't put on eye makeup every day. I'm horrified every time I look in the mirror. I don't even really know how to do a lot of makeup. I've been kind of looking around at makeup online lately because I kind of want to do one of those tutorials on YouTube from some (laughs) young teenage girl to show me how to do, like, the smoky eye. My niece on Instagram, she does a lot of different looks with makeup, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish she could teach me how to do some of this stuff. She doesn't do tutorials? I think maybe she should. She'd be really good at it. She loves makeup. I found Uh, this cool page recently, though, was, uh, I don't know what it is exactly, but somebody posted on Twitter. There's, like, a trend of teenagers doing makeup tutorials while lip-syncing to John Mulaney comedy bits. Oh, wow. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) I'm going to look this up. That sounds really cool. (laughs) They're not exactly doing tutorials. They're just putting on makeup, but, like, you could learn to do it by watching them, I guess. That's... That's how I do best. Just watching, so. Oh, John Mulaney. <laughs> oh, I love seeing Dowdy for one second. Elizabeth Daly. Yeah, Evie Daly was in that. What? Dowdy from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. She's in, like, oh, one right. scene. Um, yeah. Um, she, like, the hotel chambermaid. Yeah. Oh, I thought I recognized her. I'll finish tomorrow. I'm not finished yet. I'll be done in a minute. Hey, you got a quarter? Wow, that's wild. She's kind of always looked the same, too. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of the outfits, I was really excited at the very beginning. I could probably put together Corinne's outfit with the leopard coat and the scarf. Oh, nice. I was like, I already have those clothes. I don't have a pants. Well, I guess it might be time to do a lunchtime poll, then. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. All right, so the lunchtime poll is what song would you steal from an all-male band to use as your Riot girl anthem? I'm excited about this. I kind of want to do this. Oh, nice. We should form a band, and we should play these three songs, whatever they are. I had so many that I wanted to do. It was hard to pick just one, but mine is Nirvana's Lithium. I think that would be really fun to do, and it'd be really cool with a female voice doing, like, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> that part. I like that song a lot. That is really cool. I love singing Nirvana. I do Nirvana karaoke a lot. Oh, yeah. What Nirvana songs do you like to karaoke? My favorite one to do is Very Ape. Do you know that one? I really like that one. I've done About a Girl before, and I think I've done Lithium before. On a Plane. I like that one. Anyway, you can do more than one, Christina. What what were some runner-ups? Yeah, what were your your runners-up? Runners-up, not runner-ups. So, (laughs) the other one that I really like, I feel like an all-girl punk band has already done it, but I... Not for certain, but Satisfaction. Oh, yeah, nice. Like Stones. I think that would be awesome. And I like Radiohead's Creep. I think that would be a good one. Jinx One Soon is a really amazing one. Nirvana Love Buzz, that's a great one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a Nirvana cover band would be pretty great. Like a girl Nirvana cover band. (laughs) Maybe we could start that. Like that. Amy, do you want to go? Sure. Okay, I only had one runner. I'll start with my runner up. Also, I had a little bit fudged the rule here. My runner up was Basket Case. I really like that song. I think that would be really good. But so the one I settled on is not a band, it's just a singer, but it is a male. 
It's not R.M. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe Jackson's song, Look Sharp. Oh, yeah. uh, I thought that would be cool. It's just, it's of course, like, you gotta have no illusions, just keep going your way, looking over your shoulder. Then that would be more interesting from a woman singing than a man. Then the whole song, like, just the Maya Girl vibe to me, the lyrics. Yeah, that could definitely be easily rearranged to a more like gritty sounding. Joe Jackson's so poppy, like Elvis Costello poppy sounding, but it'd be really nice to muddy that. Yeah, kind he's of. Really 80s Brit pop kind of. So what's yours, Jessica? Okay, well I had a runner-up too, actually. So <laughs> my runner-up was added up by the Violent Femmes because that song kind of has an incel vibe to it. But like I feel like when it's done by girl band, it'd either be like female sexual frustration, which is not something that's explored very often in music, or like a parody of an insult character. You could kind of interpret it one of those two ways. So I really like that, but that was going to be my answer. But then this morning I thought of the Misfit song Where Eagles Dare, which has a really great chorus, which is like, no goddamn son of a bitch, you better think about it, baby. And then the song itself is kind of about prostitution. <laughs> so that would be kind of like a take it back, talking about it from a woman's point of view. Let's test your threshold of pain. Let's see how long you last happen in your rape on bosoms of your past with jaded eyes and features you think they really care let's go where eagles dare we'll go where eagles dare i really like that it's kind of like take it back and you can still fly <laughs> i like the idea of like sex workers taking control of it. so i think that's my number one answer but that's a good set list right there i think we've got a really great set list well, I've always wanted to be in a band, so if you guys want to do it, I'll totally do it. I want to learn how to play the guitar at some point in my life. <laughs> nice. That was a good time, maybe. <laughs> I know. Nothing but time. Nothing but, yeah. I think the trading musician is still open. I can check. That's a great used music store up the road oh, for us. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, they've got good deals on stuff. I can't play any instruments, but... <laughs> I've tried. I've tried a lot. It's just right. never, I, never, never tried. Well, I bet you would be amazing, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just pick it up. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing I've learned from biopics, it's that you can just pick up a guitar and write a song in like two minutes. So. Oh, okay. My friend Aaron can play guitar, and he just taught himself. He just like picked it up and just played till it sounded right. Wow. So he didn't even know like yeah. what notes he was playing or anything? No. I don't know how he did that, but he can just play it. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. I don't know. Maybe I should pick one up. I never tried. Maybe it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. I have faith in you. Yeah. Oh, my other favorite thing from the commentary, the Dern and Lane commentary, was that they kept doing... <laughs> They kept saying Ray Winston's lines because they in his accent. That was just that really tickled me because how much we loved you guys. <laughs> they were just constantly every time he said anything, they would just like say the line again in a Cockney accent and then laugh. They're really good friends too. Like, they're lifelong friends. They became best friends in this movie and they've been friends ever since. And I think that's so great. It was really fun commentary. I'll I'll lend you guys a DVD whenever I can see you again. <laughs> On the next episode of Paid and Puke. We find out whatever happened to Baby Jane in Robert Aldrich's 1962 horror camp classic starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Hayden Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Hayden Puke Pod or join us on Facebook at Hayden Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.